This is an Our Savior Evangelical Free Church podcast. To learn more, visit osefc.org. It's been great to, to be a part of this church and just to be welcomed, even as Californians. Um, it's, it's nice to have that family atmosphere when we're so far away from family. Uh, and it's just fun to get to know you guys. I'm sure I'll get to know a lot of you uh, even better in the next couple years. Uh, but I just wanted to extend thanks from my family. Um, it's It's been fun. It's been an enjoyable season for us to uh, kind of do something a little different. I didn't think I'd be going back to school uh, in my mid-30s. So I, I feel like I'm kind of coming late to the game, but um, I think that's how the Lord intended it. It takes some of us a little bit longer to grow up, so I might be in that category. Um, but yeah, I'm blessed by Adam giving me the opportunity to, to preach this morning. Uh, it's been a while since I've, I've preached. I was preaching almost every week for about four years, and, and then I kind of quit cold turkey. Uh, so this it's been over, over a year since I've really preached, but I hear it's like riding a bike, so this shouldn't be too bad. Um, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning. One of the things the Lord has just laid on my heart uh, in the last year or so is, is just helping the church to, to understand um, the value of each member as part of the body. And so that's something I want to dig into this morning, um, help us to, to really grasp that idea. So we're going to be looking mostly at verses 12 through 26 in 1 Corinthians 12. But let me open this up with a word of prayer. Father, I just thank you for this beautiful morning. I thank you for uh, the beautiful church body before me. We thank you for uh, just the way that you have decided to, to use us in our imperfections and in our brokenness. And Lord, that the gospel has done a mighty work in, um, in us in order to be uh, useful for your kingdom. And so I just pray, Father, this morning, as we look at this passage, that we would just have a renewed sense of excitement for being part of the body, and that you would just bless uh, my words as your word is opened. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So one of the buzzwords of late has been the word essential. We, we talk about essential workers, essential businesses, um, basically who's essential, who's not, who can stay open. And it, it's kind of got me thinking about that whole idea and how it might relate to, to us in the church. Uh, what does it mean to be essential? Uh, if, you're, if your job is not deemed essential, is that somewhat of an identity crisis? If they told you, you don't, we don't need you to come to work right now, you're not really essential, um, that, that seems like it'd be a little difficult. But Something that uh, we see is that there are clearly certain people in the workforce who are essential these days. Uh, you know, if you're a healthcare worker, um, if you're a grocery store employee, you know, along those lines, you know, you were deemed clearly essential. You were needed. You had to be at work. Um, but for others, it wasn't really so cut and dry. And I remember reading an article uh, in, the, in the Tribune where there were some, some candy factory workers who were being told they had to continue to come to work, uh, that 
they were wondering, they were asking their union rep, you know, do we really have to go to work and continue, you know, keeping this confectionery line? Is this, is this essential? And so the union rep, he called a local congressman and he asked, you know, the question and the congressman told him uh, basically that uh, candy is a part of the critical food supply chain in part because people hold up at home might be craving sweets. And at first that sounded a little bit ridiculous to me, uh, but then I, I thought about it for a minute and I, I thought, you know, I wonder how many marital conflicts have been eased through the use of chocolate or something of that sort. So maybe, maybe they had a point. Sweets could be essential. Maybe Hershey's has done more value for the family than we think they have. Um, I did see another article, though, that said, uh, with social activities still rare, the sale of gum and mints continues to lag. So I guess when you're six feet apart, you don't really need to have good breath. And I'd be willing to wager that deodorant sales are following that same trend, which may be why some of you are staying in your cars this morning. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm kidding, mostly. But all this talk about being essential has got me thinking, what does it mean for us to say that we are essential parts of the church? Um, we would probably easily say that pastors are essential, worship leaders, elders, maybe those members who tithe are essential. But is that really what the Bible says about the body? And if I were to ask you, are you a part of the body of Christ? As a believer, you would most likely say yes. If I was to ask you, are you an essential part of the body of Christ? You may hum and haw a little bit. Might, it might seem like a question that's uh, intended to test your humility. A am I an essential part of the body of Christ? Uh, you might give the spiritual answer, which says, you know, well, God doesn't really need me, but, you know, he's welcome to use me if he wants to. And then maybe quote something from Luke 19 about Jesus saying, you know, the rocks could cry out, which in itself is a true statement. Um, you might say something along the lines of, you know, God doesn't, God doesn't need people to accomplish his purposes, which again is also a true theological statement. But it's not the, really the way that the biblical writers engage this idea. And when we look at 1 Corinthians 12, that's not the kind of tone that Paul takes when he's speaking about who's essential in the body of Christ. Paul seems to be pulling us towards a different kind of idea, that God has determined that it's his plan that he will use each and every person within the body of Christ as a way of manifesting his presence and his glory within the world. And so that's what the Bible says when we, when we look at this, this idea. Paul says this Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, he speaks of God who has saved us and called us with a holy calling not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. So your salvation is something that is coupled with a calling into the, 
into a role within the body. And so I hope this morning that I can help us to see that each one of us is called to be an active member within the body of Christ. Um, What Paul unpacks in 1 Corinthians 12 helps us to see some of the problems, some of the things that might keep us from having this mindset. Paul notes two specific viewpoints that seem to be exacerbating this problem. There are some in the church that might feel unnecessary. They may think that they're not needed that, uh, or that they're inadequate because they don't possess certain gifts. Secondly, some, pe- some people might compound this issue by conveying to some believers, either implicitly or explicitly, that they're not needed, they're not necessary, because they do not have certain gifts. And so Paul kind of takes these people to task. And that's, that's what I want to look at this morning. Uh, Gorman puts it this way, no one should feel inferior by saying or implying, I'm not needed. And no one in the church should feel superior by saying or implying, you're not needed. And so that's kind of the starting point for what we're going to look at. And really what I want us to to get from this is that every Christian is an essential part of the body of Christ. Every Christian should function in the role that God has given them. Because when the members of Christ's body are unified and empowered by his spirit, the church will be a vibrant, healthy witness of the gospel. So we're going to focus on verses 12 through 26 this morning. If you want to open your Bibles, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I don't intend to really address the individual gifts that Paul's listing here. What I want to look at is the whole theological picture of the body. What what Paul gives us, this this image of a, a living organism that we call the church. And I hope we get a clearer sense of the value of who we are because of what God has given us by his Holy Spirit. And I want it to impart confidence in each person to live out their role within the body. So starting in chapter 12, verse 12, we'll take it in three sections. First section is verses 12 through 14. Paul says, For just as the body is one, And has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. So within the context of this letter... It seems that the believers in Corinth were having a difficult time with the idea that all believers have equal value. We see that throughout the letter as as Paul is trying to uh, combat the kind of division that has developed in this church. Division that happens over legal matters, over family issues, over sin, over all kinds of things. Communion. Just in the chapter before this, chapter 11, Paul is addressing the harm that the body is causing uh, by exalting some 
during the communion feast and making others basically feel lesser, not as important. And so this body metaphor is something that Paul uses in order to describe this idea of diverse unity, different members all playing a different role, functioning together for the same purpose and cause. This isn't a metaphor that Paul only uses here in this letter. Uh, He specifically uses it also in Ephesians 4 and Romans 12. And in Ephesians 4, Paul describes Christ as the head and the church as the body. So we get this image that the head is the one that directs every part of the body to the specific movements that it wants it to make in order to accomplish a specific purpose. And this metaphor, if you call it, is, is so it's so important to our understanding of, of how we function in the body of Christ um, that Paul uses it in these three different places. And I think that it's a metaphor is, is almost doesn't quite capture um, how powerful this image is because it seems to be almost more like a, a spiritual truth, like the church is an actual body. The, the members of the church are like the hands and the feet and the eyes and the ears and the mouth. And it, it almost seems deeper than just a metaphor. And when we talk about the church, usually I'm speaking in the universal sense, the whole church, all believers. But what we see here is that Paul's describing how this practically plays out in the local setting. He's writing to an individual church And he also uses these two illustrations of being baptized into one body and made to drink of one spirit, which seem to be clearly referencing the idea of baptism and communion, the two sacraments that happen within a local assembly. And so we want to understand how this plays out, not just in the larger church in general, but specifically within our local body. Paul also uses the terms Jew or Greek, slave or free, in order to describe who it is that can be placed into this structure. That gives us basically all types of people, according to Paul's cultural context. Anybody and everybody. There's no one below it. No one is excluded. No one is above the body of Christ. And so this lays the foundation for what Paul says next, starting in verse 15. He says, If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the ear should say, Because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But that as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So Paul uses this kind of hyperbolic analogy to say, if the body were all an eye, 
It wouldn't be a body. This, this idea of unbalancedness within the body is, is something that Paul is trying to, to deal with. And I mean, I think that idea resonates with us, uh, maybe in a different way. Uh, if you've, you may have been to the gym before, maybe not recently, uh, but you'll see some guys in there and they clearly are focusing on certain parts of the body, right? They, they're focusing oftentimes on the chest and the arms and they sort of get this Neanderthal lean forward look, right? That because they're not working every muscle in the body. Maybe they have kind of those toothpick legs and it, it just doesn't look right. It, it's, it's sort of, it can become sort of freakish looking. But I think sometimes in the church, we are in danger of, of looking like that when we allow only certain gifts to be uh, the focus. And so Paul begins by dealing with this idea that, that some members with certain gifts might feel inadequate within the body because their gifts don't line up with the, the cultural norm within the church. So in this context, there's, there's certain gifts that seem to be given preference in the Corinthian church. And we come to find out that specifically there was a preference for speaking in tongues. Uh, some, of these, some of these gifts uh, that Paul deals with in chapter 14. And, and so the way I want to look at that is that there's, there's a danger in these situations that if certain gifts are being given preference within the church and are deemed as the most important, two things can happen. One is that those who don't have those gifts will basically view their own gifts as unimportant and they'll sort of slide into the background and find themselves not participating within the body. The second, and I think this might even be more common, is that those who don't possess the, the popular or accepted gifts will try to possess them, will seek to exercise gifts that they don't have in order to participate in the body. And so you can imagine how harmful that can be in both instances. In the first scenario, believers get sidelined. In the second scenario, certain believers are trying to use gifts that they don't have, which can create all kinds of a mess. This can play out really differently in different types of churches. In a context like the Corinthian church, where it was a more charismatic setting, you saw this affinity for gifts that were a bit more miraculous or uh, exciting, trying to be exercised, creating confusion and uh, disorder. In a church that might be on the other side of the spectrum or closer to the cessationist viewpoint, then you have many gifts being ignored and the church basically focuses on just very specific few gifts of, of, that are kind of more acceptable within the community. And both ways you end up sort of quenching the spirit. And so there needs to be a balance the body needs to operate specifically with the gifts that it has been given, but it's, it's easier said than done. Am I right? I mean, I, how, how often do we find a situation 
where all of these gifts are just operating in, in this perfect harmony and, and nobody is exalting themselves and nobody's being ignored. Um, it's, it's probably, you're probably not ever actually going to find that. And that's not really what I'm saying is look for a perfect church. I'm saying that what we need to do is be moving closer to that center point, that balance point where our gifts are valued in the, in the proper way. They're being used properly. The church is being edified uh, according to God's glory. Uh, Stendhal says this in regards to this, this issue of certain churches exalting certain gifts. He says, the fullness of the church cannot be better ridiculed than by the habit long established according to which every denomination or sect takes its gift of the spirit and builds a special little chapel around it. Basically he's saying shame on us for exalting certain gifts and ignoring others for prioritizing certain things. Because if you remember what Paul said, God has arranged the members there's a divine arrangement, a God-appointed structure. And if we are to say certain gifts aren't useful to us or not needed, then we're not speaking just against our own cultural norms. We would be going against God's own divine appointment of certain gifts. So we need to understand that this arrangement is that God makes within the body is not according to human preference or cultural norm, but according to God's holy and infinite wisdom. And, and so Paul kind of ends this section by emphasizing the phrase that God has placed the mem- arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. So he, he zooms in, he keys in individually on each person, each member, that God has arranged each member individually as he chose. I mean, that's, that's kind of exciting for us because if you're here in this church and you're part of the body, you've trusted in Jesus, God has individually placed you with a specific purpose and role, hand-picked you in order to serve. And this just doesn't mean just on at church in some way because the church is for the edification of the saints in order to build up the body so that for the whole week, the body is serving within their roles. So Paul first deals with that, uh, this idea that nobody can say, I'm not a part of the body just because I don't have certain gifts. Basically, there's no excuse. You have no excuse. So all of us should be able to serve in some capacity. In this next section, Paul tells us that no member is more or less valuable within the body than somebody else. He says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, 
which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So in this scenario, what we have is the esteemed, those with gifts that are exalted for some reason or other, saying to those who have less esteemed gifts, I have no need of you. We, we don't need you here. We don't need that. We're not interested in that. That's just not how we do it. And Paul says, no, you can't do that either. The eye and the head in this case seem to represent those gifts that might be more admirable. The, the eye and the head in comparison to the hands and the feet, kind of the more basic down and dirty types of gifts, maybe like the serving or administrating those kind of gifts being spurned by those who have the more, what they would think spiritual type gifts. And, and so Paul is saying, that's not how it works. Everybody needs everyone else. All of these gifts are necessary and they must function together. And we were to kind of build on this analogy uh, to think about a case like being in a battle. I mean, the eye may be able to see the attacker, the ears may be able, able to hear something coming, but it needs the hands to wield the sword and the feet to move it in battle. And so without the hands and the feet, the eye and the head are, are vulnerable. And that's the same way with the body, that the body is there to not only minister to each other, but also to protect and to uh, work together in order to be that witness. The second part of this, this portion is, I mean, I'll be honest, it's not entirely, not entirely comfortable to work this out in detail. When he speaks about unpresentable parts, when I was picking this passage, I really loved this passage, but I wasn't looking forward to exegeting this part of it. So I'm going to do us all a favor and try to capture the essence um, without getting completely into the details. What I think Paul is saying here <laughs> is that in the church, there may be those, he used the word unpresentable. This is, this is a tough Paul doesn't pull any punches. He says, unpresentable. There may be some within the church who, to the majority of the church, seem to be a bit embarrassing, maybe. Eyes up here, please don't be looking at anybody. <laughs> embarrassing, or maybe somebody who you just wouldn't want to be the greeter or something like that. That, that seems to be what he's saying is that there's always maybe someone in the church, could be me, could be you, that the rest of the church cringes a little bit when we go up to, to greet a visitor, right? I mean, that's, that Paul's really getting into it here. And he says, these people receive, are especially honored. 
members of the body. So what, is, what does Paul mean by that? And I think that what he means, because he goes on to, to speak of this idea of them needing a little bit more care, uh, a little bit more attention to be careful. When a, when a batter walks up to the plate, he's usually wearing two helmets, okay? One on the head, the other to protect another area. We call it a cup, right? And so there's special care given to two body parts because they're both very important. One of them presentable, the other one not. So what Paul is saying is that in these situations, instead of looking at someone who may not perfectly fit within the structure of a a church, a local body, and kind of wishing that they would sort of be quiet and not cause any problems, Paul's saying these people deserve even more honor, more care, more attending to, so that the whole body will not be divided. And that's, I had to let that sink in a little bit. But I think that there's a really beautiful truth there within that, that thought that Paul has for us. So God has arranged the body, each person as he has desired. He's given each person a role. And he ends with this idea to include caring for anybody who is suffering so that we all might suffer together. Or if one member is honored, all would rejoice together. So when somebody is suffering or becomes maybe in a kind of a worldly or fleshly sense, less useful, seemingly less useful within the body, that is when the body is supposed to come together and care for it. Just like, you know, when you smash a finger or stub a toe, your whole body reacts. It reacts just immediately because it feels the pain. The whole body feels that pain. The nerves go all throughout the system. And in the same way, when we see somebody suffering or somebody who is in need of being lifted up, we should be the same. We should react like that with care for that member. Even if it is the the pinky toe, something that might seem unimportant, but it's not because God has ordained for it to be there for a specific purpose and reason. So the last thing he says to rejoice with those who are honored because our tendency is when somebody in the body is honored, we feel a little bit jealous where we kind of, we might wish we had the gift they had or that we were able to do that or, and that's just human nature. That's, that's our flesh. And so Paul says, rejoice with those who are honored to, to lift them up, exalt them and say, they're part of our body. Praise the Lord. So what do we do with um, all of these things? Paul, he's made a good case that every person is essential. Every person has a part, a role, a job to do, a gifting to do it. Not just pastors and leaders. And something I touched on earlier, I want to read from Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 13. 
Paul says that, that God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So pastors are not just here to do the ministry. Every time you come Sunday morning, Pastor Adam is equipping you to do the ministry. Equipping us in order to fulfill our role within the body. So, that's how we can be the body. The more dedicated each member is to fulfilling its role, the more effective the body is going to be. I mean, if, you're, I don't, if you've ever woken up you know, in the middle of the night and your hand or your arm is asleep, you know, you, it won't respond, right? It just kind of, you know, just dangling there. It, I feel like sometimes that's, that's how some of us can be in the body. We're kind of like, you know, asleep. And, and it needs to be, you know, woken up, become an active part, a functional member of the body to, to do what God has called us to do. So, it's good and necessary that we're all different. That we all have different gifts. We all have a different purpose. We have to embrace that. We embrace that kind of diversity within the church. Even though it can be a little bit uncomfortable at times. And Paul makes an exhortation in Romans 12, another parallel passage. He says this. He says, having gifts that differ according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Seems pretty simple, right? Having gifts, let us use them. This is what God has called us to do, but gifts often need to be developed a little bit. They need to be honed through the, the ministry, through that putting ourselves out there and, and doing what God has called us to do. A preacher or a teacher has to develop a teaching gift. You're studying I can guarantee you the first time that I stood up here behind a pulpit, nobody thought I was going to be a teacher. You may still think that. That's okay. But it took a lot of time and, and humility and mistakes. And the church had to have grace for me as I learned to kind of walk awkwardly in that gift. And I think that's how it is for a lot of us is we kind of start as babies, a professional athlete begin his life as stumbling around as a, a child. And, and through practice and those kind of things and putting himself out there, the, the talent, the gift became exposed. It became a reality, something that could be used and seen for what it was. And, and so I think that's sometimes how it is with us. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, he says, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Fan into flame. I love that. I love that phrase there. 
May we be fanning into flame the gift that God has given us. May we encourage others to do that. Last thing I'll, I'll end with is I think that a lot of times our role within the body can be sort of like a paramedic or a, a fireman because you're not always in an opportunity where you're able to use your gift or what you feel most comfortable, how you feel most comfortable serving. And so if you don't have those opportunities for a while, you can start to, to feel like it's just not going to happen. Maybe, maybe you're not that important. But a fireman and a paramedic, they, they train, they prepare. They do all that they can, can to consistently be ready for when they're needed. And I think that, that that's how we need to think in some ways about our gifting, about our role, is that it's not just about those moments of service where we're called into action, but that we're consistently being ready and prepared, that we're, we're before the Lord uh, in our, our daily quiet times, that we're being encouraged by the word, that we're being built up as we come on Sundays, we're being equipped. And then when the opportunity presents itself, we're ready. And that's how I think a lot of times we need to be as members of the church, is to simply be ready, to be willing, to be used for God's glory. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the truth that you have given each of us a particular role that you've equipped us by the empowering of your spirit. Lord, I thank you uh, that you give us grace for each other as we learn to walk in these gifts. And Father, I ask that we would each be encouraged this morning, that you have a specific place for us as a member of your body. And I pray, Father, that you would give us a renewed sense of urgency and importance to know that we're essential to the work that you're doing. And Father, I pray most of all that we would be connected to the head, that we would be receiving our instruction, our direction from Christ through the Holy Spirit, and that the whole body would be edified as your people come together and serve each other and are a witness to the world around us. We love you and we praise you and we thank you uh, for your word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our Savior Evangelical Free Church is a congregation located in Wheeling, Illinois. Our vision can be summed up in four words, building community, bringing Christ. To learn more about what these words mean, visit our website at osefc.org.